Mac Power Users, Episode 161, Starting a Small Business with Ben Carter. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Um, so I was home uh, doing my weekend thing, and I get this frantic email from Katie Floyd that says, "Yes, you have to listen to this podcast. We have to do a show with this guy." And that would stop everything right now. Yes, because that would be after my weekend of binging on this podcast, which I don't think was very healthy. But it was what happened. I heard about this podcast. I downloaded them. I listened to one on Friday, and then by Sunday morning, they were all gone. And uh, that podcast is How to Start a Law Firm with our special guest today, Ben Carter. Welcome, Ben. Thanks so much, you guys, for having me. This is a real thrill as a longtime listener. So, Katie, did you show up to the office on Monday and quit your job and, and start a law firm? I did. I said, I'm out of here. You guys suck. Ben says that everything you're doing is wrong. And I slammed the door. And then I came back and I said, wait, wait, wait please, please, please let me come back in. No. <laughs> well, ben, ben has a great story to tell. I've been catching up with them since Katie turned me on to them, and they are great shows, Ben, thanks. It's called How to Start a Law Firm, which Ben does with Annie O'Connell. And uh, Ben and Annie are a couple attorneys in, is it Louisville you're in? Yes, Louisville, Kentucky. And, um, you know, I have to ask you as one aside, do you, did you know Finnis, Finnis Price? Uh, Finnis and I, Finnis was the tech consultant on uh, a huge legal malpractice case that I was uh, third wheel on in, in here in Louisville a couple of years ago. So I knew Finnis well. Yeah. Finnis, uh, just for listeners who are not uh, law nerds, Finnis was one of the most beloved attorney geeks out there who passed away about a year and a half ago. We all, I did a, I did a session with Finnis on being a Mac power user at the ABA tech show years ago. And it's, I'm told it's one of the legendary sessions that people still talk about it. We had a just a great time. Uh, we got a projector and we put two computers onto it and we just took turns doing magic tricks. It was just a lot of fun. And he was just a super guy. I watched Finnis uh, prepare the opening s statement slideshow on uh, Keynote. And it was really something from another world watching well, him watching him prepare that because it was he was doing things I had no idea how to do. Yeah, well, so we're all going to miss Finnis, and now that we've lost the entire audience that didn't know Finnis, let's continue. Sure. <laughs> so, so Ben Ben found himself without a job one day and said, you know what, I'm going to start my own law firm. And he made um, a lot of mistakes as he went through the process because he didn't know what he was doing, frankly, right? And, um, well, that's a nice and then, way to put it. Well, I mean, that's what, that's a, the problem all of us would have if we were starting our own business. I mean, you, you're trained, let's say you're an electrician. And you're really good at laying wire, but one day you decide you're going to start an electrician business. There's a whole bunch of the stuff that you don't know about. But yeah. what makes Ben really special is that he figured out the answers to the problems he had. And now he's sharing it with everybody with this this great podcast series he's doing with, with Annie. So they're going through each episode and talking about all the things that they overcame and and the technologies and, you know, even just what kind of stapler to get. So they're going through the whole thing. That which stapler I think is, really is on my Amazon wish list, by the way. Oh, my. It's just the best. But, you know, <laughs> if you – I view the podcast as a sort of form of self-soothing because we are still making mistakes, Annie and I both. Annie's been a solo practitioner for a couple of years, and I've only been doing it for uh, 11 months now. And we're making mistakes all the time and getting feedback from listeners and 
And David's right. Most of the education that we get is not in being a small business person. It's in the thing that we do as a small business person, whether it's being a cook or an electrician or a lawyer, uh, a food truck vendor, whatever it might be. A lot of us are, go into this with a passion, but ill-prepared to do the uh, back-end sort of advertising and, and customer relations and budgeting. And I think that's an important thing to say right up the front at the beginning of the show is you, you got three lawyers on this microphone, so please don't stop the podcast right now. I promise it's not going to be bad um, with three attorneys on here yakking. But one of the things that I, I thought was refreshing about your show is, yes, it's called Let's Start a Law Firm, and I, and I hope this episode will be kind of the same way, even though we've got three lawyers on the line here, is I think a lot of the things that you can take away from your podcast, and I hope this show, uh, which is maybe a mini condensed version of the Cliff Notes version of kind of what you guys are doing, um, is a lot of these things span through different businesses. So whether you're a dentist or a doctor or an accountant or whatever it is that you want to do, if you want to start a, a small business and it's going to be Mac-based, uh, that's basically what you've done. And yeah, yours happens to be practicing law, but a, a lot of this stuff transitions over to just about any area of business you want to do. I hope so. That's All some right. of the feedback we've gotten. Yeah, well, I, I think it's great. And uh, so we thought, what the heck? Let's have Ben on and talk about starting a small business with Apple technology. So welcome, Ben. Thank you. So let's let's just start kind of big picture. Why did you start a business using Apple technology? Because aren't you supposed to use a startup business using these IBM PCs and this Windows stuff and Microsoft Office and all this other businessy stuff? Because you can't use a Mac for business. I mean, come on. You know, I, I don't want to get too meta too quickly, but one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own business was so that I could control some of the things, um, some of the tools that I got to use on a day-to-day -day basis. When I was working at Legal Aid, definitely RIT mandated that we use a PC. And uh, I had been a Mac person for five or six years prior uh, to starting at Legal Aid. And it really rubbed me the wrong way that I had to go back to a Windows-based uh, system. And and so, you know, you work, I worked there for a couple of years and just sort of chafed using Windows and dreamed of the day when I would be able to work using the tools that I wanted to use, the Fujitsu, the, uh, the Mac that worked so well for me at, at home. Now, now, obviously, that's not the only reason why uh, you start a law firm or a business, but it is one of the great things about starting a business is that you get to decide from the kind of stapler you use to the platform that you put your website on to uh, the accounting software that you use to the kinds of computers you use, you get to decide all of those things. Or, and another way to put it is you have to decide all of those things. And, you know, don't understate that. I think for geeks, having the right tools is a really big deal. And and I, I get emails all the time from listeners saying, hey, I'm at, you know, company X and they required me to use a PC and they're asking me advice about ways to get around that. And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel that they're being hand, um, handcuffed by the technologies at a big company. So that is a reason that, and, and I think geeks like me, we fantasize about, well, when I leave the way I would do it would be this or that, you know? So I, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's an uncommon uh, thought. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it is either. When I left Legal Aid, I went to go work at a law firm 
And they asked me to stay on after that legal malpractice case that I worked on with Finnis. And my question to them was, are you going to buy me a Mac? Because I was going to start my own business if I, if I uh, didn't get to work on a Mac at that point. So uh, it's one of the reasons. The other reasons why I wanted to start a law firm, uh, start my own business, was because I learned how to do a particular kind of lawyering at Legal Aid that wasn't being done in Louisville uh, to my to my taste, and that's foreclosure defense. I I did exclusively foreclosure defense for a couple of years at Legal Aid from 2008 to 2010, and I saw an opportunity in the market to help homeowners and also make more money than I was making at Legal Aid, and so I, I thought I'd give it a go. So you did. So I did. All right. So how do you get started with that? Yeah. What's, well, what's the first thing you do? The, the first thing you do as a lawyer is register with the state and buy uh, professional negligence insurance. Um, but, you know, my advice to people who are thinking about starting a small business or, or a law firm in particular is if there is any way that you can do it on a small scale first, do it small. Uh, do it as a part-time thing while you keep your day job. I was very, very lucky. Um, when I was working at my previous job at the law firm, I had a client on the side, a nonprofit, that paid me to uh, consult with them about vacant and abandoned properties and our ongoing foreclosure crisis here in Kentucky. And that allowed me to set up my business. I registered with the state, had a um, malpractice policy in place just for this one client. Uh, I learned how to use QuickBooks, got my business banking in order, set up a website for my law firm, Ben Carter Law PLLC, separate from the law firm that I went to work at during the day. And so when it was time for me to leave that law firm, I had all of the logistical pieces of starting a business already in place and had been practicing and really flubbing up QuickBooks for a long time and figuring out how to fix it and and what to do uh, differently. And so if there is a way that you can test out some of these workflows on one client or on one catering job or, uh, you know, a few freelance projects, do that before jumping in at whole hog because, the imperative to make money once it's your full-time gig is so great that all of that logistical work that needs to be done makes it almost, it would make it almost crushing. I would, I would imagine. Let's talk a little bit, just kind of big picture. And then, then we can dig down into the details a little bit further, a little bit about the hardware and, and software that you use. We, we know that you use a Mac and it sounds like you use QuickBooks and you mentioned the Fujitsu scanner and all, but, but what is your, what is your setup? I, I mean, at this point, do you have an office that you go to and, and what is in that office and what's, what do you use to get your stuff done? Sure. I, I rent office space from another law firm downtown. And um, just as an aside, I would recommend to people who are going to be doing work as a solo practitioner, whether it's a designer, uh, writer, or lawyer, think about how lonely it might get if you didn't interact with other people. I, I had office space all by myself uh, for about six months, and it just got really lonely 
being in my office all the time, writing briefs and uh, talking to people on the phone, but not having anybody to bounce ideas off of. But in, in my office space, I have uh, a stand-up desk, an 11-inch um, MacBook Air that I connect to a, a 27-inch cinema uh, display, Apple cinema display. And on on the back of that connected to the cinema display is a Dymo twin turbo label printer uh, and a Fujitsu. Which scan stamp did you go with? I have the 1500. Yeah. Okay. And I, at the time that I purchased that, it was the top of the line scanner. So it's a couple of years old now at this point. It's still a great scanner. And- oh, it's so great. Listen, uh, if you're thinking about starting a small business, you know, don't don't do it without having a scan snap. And uh, th- this is going to be so geeky, but the label maker. Wh- what kind of labels do you make? Do you make labels for envelopes? Because I, I I can't figure out how to get envelopes on a printer. Oh man, I don't. I never feed letterhead or envelopes through a printer. I have one tray of paper, uh, eight and a half by eleven, and that's the only thing that goes through my printer because I print labels for envelopes. Uh, and I can also print the few file folder labels that I might need to print are on a separate roll of that Dymo Twin Turbo. And and this thing will do like file folder labels and printer labels or and envelope yeah. labels? Oh, that, that's the twin is that on the left is the file folder and on the right is the envelopes. It's great. I, I can't recommend that enough. I'm sorry. I have and it's, label issues. It's one of those inkless uh, printers that I, you never have to buy uh, ink for. It's some sort of heat heat activated uh, process. Okay. Katie, you sound like you're really excited about this. <laughs> I want a dynamo twin turbo something or something. Okay. It's so great. And we'll definitely, I'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes because it, it's just super. Yeah. And then, so printer printer, I would imagine it's some kind of laser. Um, do you have like a multifunction or just a regular laser that you're using or? Uh, the office space that I rent has, you know, um, big Xerox workstation. And um, I print that often. But I also, when I was on my own, had just a brother black and white printer. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking to upgrade my printer at home. And there are a few things that I occasionally need a flatbed scanner for. But and I so rarely print and I so, so rarely print in color. So I was kind of looking for a, a laser printer, but it would kind of be nice to have one that had some multifunction capability, but I really want one with AirPlay and wireless. And it's just like, gosh, I got all these these boxes I need to check now. It's a lot yeah. of boxes, Katie. It is a lot of boxes. Okay. All right. Maybe so we, you could get Brett Terpstra to create some sort uh, of Some sort of spreadsheet uh, for chart. me? Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. So, okay. So we got the standing desk. We got the 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 printer. We got the dual dynamo, super turbocharged label printer, the scan snap, um, and then iPhones, iPads. I use an iPhone 4S and that that is my office phone. I mean, the place that I rent from has has furnished an office phone for me. I do not use it. I have a I have two numbers that ring directly to my iPhone and that's what I use to field all my business calls and my family calls me on that phone as well. There's so many services out there now for people that do service-based industries and need a phone answering service. I know lawyers have them, but other other businesses do as well, where there's somebody somewhere in the country that will pick up a phone number and say, you know, 
you know, law offices of such and such or whatever your business's name is. So customers get the impression that there's a full-time receptionist when it's a small, you know, one-timer and that they send the, the, the phone message out. Do you, have you looked at any of that stuff or, or do you have them ring directly to you? Ruby, I, haven't I looked, think it's the one I I've heard of. Those. I I'm should so, look into that. There's a but, bunch of them. Yeah. I haven't looked at that functionally. You know, as a as a solo practitioner, my voicemail serves as a kind of receptionist. I have Google Voice set up so that all of my voicemail goes to my email. I, I get it um, in a separate folder and I can review it pretty quickly and return phone calls uh, from my voicemail. Oh, is, is I can Google only getting... imagine the hilarity that must ensue in your voicemail folder. It, it's not pretty. Yeah, is Google <laughs> getting any better at that? I, I know one of the problems is, you know, it's not a very good audio coming in through a telephone. And the voice recognition or the, the transcription of those messages can become pretty bad. Is that getting any better? Uh, not that I can tell. It's good enough that I can tell that it's a potential client and that they're calling about a auto case or something like that. But I tell you, maybe it's just the fact that everybody who's calling me has a Kentucky accent and Google hasn't really tweaked that algorithm for Kentuckians yet, but yeah. it, it's not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Google voice has got some really interesting things. It's like, you know, rules for mail where you can say, if it comes from this white list of numbers, let it ring through. If not go straight to message. And I mean, there's just a lot of things you can do with that. Um, if you're okay, you know, letting Google listen to every your phone call and, and do whatever it is they do with that, that information. Yeah. You know, for me, basically, if somebody calls me and they're a potential client, uh, I'm going to put them in my phone as a contact. Yeah. Uh, and, and that way, the next time they call back, I'll know that it's somebody that, that I need to pick up for. Have you, it sounds like the Google voice system is working well for you, but at some point that may not, you know, because everybody's worried about Google and the fact that they, you know, kill off products when they get bored with them. Have you looked at any other services? I know Vonage has something, um, and I think Uma has something, but I'm I, I'm sure there are others. Have, have you looked at any other services? I looked at Voice Over IP, and you know, for me, because I'm a solo practitioner, I just haven't had to solve a lot of the problems that some some people who are starting small businesses who are listening to this podcast are confronting. I don't I don't have the problem of collaboration. I don't have the problem of, you know, getting a multi-user system in place or multiple phone lines. I just don't, I haven't had to solve those problems yet. It's a problem I'd like to one day have to solve, but I haven't had to. Yeah. yeah well, one that I know a few people have used and liked is Ring Central. Um, yeah, I've heard that. And I have not any personal experience with it, but it does have some of the types of filtering and things that I like about Google voice. And it's a service you pay for. I think it's about 20 bucks a month, but you know, if you were concerned about privacy, that would be definitely something worth looking into. I'll definitely I'll put it in the OmniFocus. <laughs> <laughs> I have a specific context called when BCL has money. And yeah. That's, so a, that's, that's a good, that's a good context. That's, that's where it will be. Yeah. I've got one of those too. <laughs> yep. And then Katie, you, you had asked about iPads. I have an iPad mini and I love it. I use it mostly for reading and I use it to go to court with. I have, um, I have all of my pleadings and things like that accessible through, uh, through my iPad mini. So very rarely am I printing something out and going to court. 
Okay, so what back-end technologies are you using to synchronize your documents over to your iPad? I, I run everything on Dropbox, David. Okay. And actually, I want to put a link in the show notes to, to people whose jaws are, are dropping onto their uh, steering wheel or something like that about how to make Dropbox the most secure as possible. You can set up alerts when a new uh, device uh, accesses your Dropbox account. You can set up two two-step authentication uh, for accessing Dropbox with new devices. And so, you know, for anybody, but lawyers in particular, obviously uh, keeping sensitive data in the cloud is something that you have to be very careful about. And so if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. Yeah, it, there is this running battle, especially among lawyers, about whether Dropbox is a good idea or not. And um, people are very passionate on both sides. I know some pretty large law firms that run their entire system through one of these Dropbox accounts. You know, Dropbox has kind of a business class account now that gives you mm -hmm. a terabyte and monitors access and does some interesting things. And you know, one of the points made to me by one of the guys who is a big proponent of Dropbox said, and it, it makes sense to me, he says, look, most lawyers have a server in their office that's connected to the internet and it may have a current version of Microsoft Exchange or whatever file serving software that they run, or it may not have a current version with all the patches in it. And most likely they've got an IT guy who comes and babysits it once every month or so. And, you know, a hacker could get through that server much faster than they could Dropbox. And it, it makes sense to me. But you know, my firm is still, you know, we're using uh, older technology. We're not putting things in Dropbox yet. Um, but what? I was going to say the other piece of it is I really like the fact that when I take my computer off of its holster at the end of the day and put it into my bag to go home, there's no sensitive client data in my office. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another piece the the cleaning people have access to that server in traditional offices. So there's, there's a lot of issues there. Um, uh, what I wanted to say though, is so you've got it on your, your iPad mini and which, what apps are you using to access the data there? I use an app called documents uh, okay. to, to access it. That's uh, one of the readle apps, I believe. I think so. Yeah. And it's it's actually important enough that it's just in my dock on my iPad Mini. I use it that often. And that just pulls up the PDFs out of out of Dropbox to let yep. you see them. In it. Okay. And then, um, how do you have all this stuff organized? Do you just have it by client folder, or I have? Uh, now we're really getting in the weeds, Katie. Uh, of Sorry, the, the legal that's what weeds, we do. I know. Um, basically, I have two main folders that I operate out of. One is at BCL, which is all of the admin, all of the forms, uh, all of the bookkeeping and things like that, the website materials and photographs and um, insurance uh, riders and, and all of that admin. And then I have a, a folder called at clients. And under clients is um, at archive, at pot, which is short for potential. And then I have a list of all of my clients. So, um, so that's basically how I organize things. Something comes in and it's either, uh, admin for my business and it goes in BCL or it's something client related and it goes either in the client file or it goes in a potential client file. It's interesting as Mavericks comes out, we're going to get more tagging. Um, but it's not a full implementation implement 
implementation of tagging because it's not transferring over to iOS at least yet. And there's a lot of people asking me, well, maybe it's time to give up your nested folders. But man, it is really hard for me to do that because it's just so convenient to have those portable nested folders like you're using. And you can put the data anywhere you want at any time. To me, I think I think nested folders are always going to have a place for me. Uh, it's just maybe it's because I grew up using nested folders and I, I don't want to think any other way. But tagging for me is going to be so useful for pulling up uh, pleadings. I, as you all know, most of the most of the work that we do as lawyers is based on previous uh, work. You know, you don't write a motion from scratch. Usually you're basing it off of something that you've already done. And so find being able to find similar pleadings or um, times that you've written briefs about similar issues is going to be very useful. That's what I use Evernote for right now is to store legal research. But if I'm able to tag PDFs in client folders with the particular uh, legal issue that it, it addresses, I don't know whether Evernote is going to uh, survive in my workflow. Yeah. Let's talk about Evernote, so long as it survives, because I actually sure. have to give a presentation on that next week. Um, so how do you how do you use Evernote to store well for anything, but mainly to store to store this research? Do you just are you scanning copies of briefs and cases and saving them in there and tagging them and then searching? And um, I guess if you're doing that, how is that any different than really using Spotlight just just on your hard drive? So so how are you using Evernote? That's basically how I'm using it, Katie. Is is throwing PDFs at it as much as I can and and being specific about what the what the legal issue is that that it addresses. So, um, you know, I do a lot of auto fraud cases. I do foreclosure defense cases. I do insurance bad faith cases. And so, you know, recurring issues come up in each of those uh, kinds of law. And so I just I just tag the case based on what what issues are addressed and and keep it as a repository. I I tend to use notebooks quite a bit in Evernote as as I use folders. And I, I use nested notebooks to some degree, but you can only nest notebooks one level in Evernote. So I've like a notebook stack called work. And then under work, I'll have, um, you know, a notebook stack for, in a perfect world, I would have a notebook stack for research. And then I would have a sub stack for, you know, cases on this issue, cases on that issue, case, but you, you can't get that far in Evernote. So then I, what I end up doing is I having, I have a notebook stacks for this particular issue, this particular issue, this particular issue. And then once I, once I've subdivided into, you know, maybe four or five main issues, that's when I'll use tagging to kind of hit the main, um, the main things that that were in a particular case or in a particular document that I may need to reference. I, I can't, uh, or I don't, I don't get that detailed with it. I, I I feel like I'm doing well just to throw something into Evernote and and assign it a few tags uh, for for later recovery. Yeah. It sure is nice as we've all just become accustomed to the idea of putting something in a program in one place and having it automatically show up in other places, you know, the iCloud syncing, the Evernote, the Dropbox stuff. I just, I'm just, I, sometimes I listen to people talk about this stuff and I'm just amazed because I remember just even just a few years ago, how hard it would have been to do something like that. Oh, I mean, you, you listen to attorneys talk about uh, the systems that they developed over the, I mean, attorney, 
attorneys who are 60 and 70 years old talking about the systems that they developed to do exactly what I'm doing with Evernote, which is create a system to archive their legal research by various uh, legal issue. And, you know, they worked so hard to create this manual outline, almost like a separate Dewey Decimal, uh, you know, kind of... Carl Linnaeus taxonomy for yeah. their legal research. And, and, you know, on some level, the benefit for them is in the effort that it takes to decide where that thing goes. Um, and so it makes them a better attorney just by creating the taxonomy. But I'm awfully glad that I don't have to do that. Amen, brother. Hey, yeah. let's talk about a sponsor for a minute, and that would be Drobo. And today we're going to talk about the Drobo 5D, and this is the Thunderbolt Drobo. It's awesome performance for creative professionals working with photos and video. You can plug this sucker right in next to your Mac, and it plugs in with a Thunderbolt port. And everybody knows that's a really fast port. Well, the good news is this has gone down in price. Uh, as of October 1, the price went from $849 to $699. And then you can start loading it up with uh, your drives. So you've got all the benefits of a Drobo, which is easy setup, easy expansion, data protection, and the super fast connection. And you can do even more with that. It's got an mSATA SSD uh, slot in the bottom of it. So you can plug in a little SSD uh, card in the bottom. And then that will even further jack up your performance because then it's going to help get the read performance up. And in fact, with this device, you can get your read performance up to 325 megabytes per second. So if you've got this massive photo library, you're doing a lot of video work, this thing is going to be exactly what you need. You just plug it right in, start loading it up with drives, and you're good to go. Uh, they've got a special offer for Mac Power User listeners. So if you go to drobo.com slash MPU, uh, you can get a chance to win a Drobo Mini and save $50 off the purchase of a Drobo Mini or a Drobo 5D at drobostore.com using the coupon code MPU550. Is that 50 correct, Katie? Yep, that's correct. MPU50. Okay, yeah, I read that. Now, is it 5D? Or, so that's MPU50, and that's going to get you that discount. And it's valid through November 11th, so you've got some time. Um, go while you're in the Drobo store, though, take a look around because they've got a product for whatever your needs are. They've got the five N that will plug into your network and be your network attached storage, or they've got this five D that's just the screamer. And they've even got the mini. If you need something more portable, it's a great device. Uh, the company comes up with some really creative solutions to managing your storage. And with this new price drop from eight forty nine to six ninety nine, that's that's a really nice drive you're getting. So go check it out. Six forty nine if you're in Mac Power Users listener and use the That's right. Up. That's right. Six forty nine. Now we're really getting down. So uh, get one of these and get yourself set up. And thanks, Drobo, for supporting the Mac Power Users. Yeah, and I do just want to reiterate Drobo.com slash MPU. Somebody listening to us right now is gonna win a Drobo Mini. Yeah. It's not gonna be us, David. Could be Ben though. I'm going there right now. Yeah. Well, go. don't go there like right now. I mean, finish the show first. Don't forget, you've got a head start. Yeah, go register. I want to just, I want to pull down their servers. I want them to know that the Mac Power Users listeners are all over free stuff. Maybe we can convince them to give some more away later. So yeah. get in there and register. Very this cool. is why I don't use a clicky keyboard. I can do this right now. You can and do this and you we'll never, know. never know. And he's never doing it with me. Like, yeah. 12 <laughs> different email addresses too. I bet he's doing it with. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about about your your email and communication. You, you told us about how the phone works with Google Voice, and that system seems to work great for you. I use Google Voice at home. Um, I hate to say this word because it's such a dirty word in most people's languages, but unfortunately, a lot of business people still have to deal with this, and that is the fax. How do you uh, do yes. a fax without actually having to do a fax? I use a program called Hello Fax, and I resisted even having a fax machine uh, at all for four or five months. And I didn't, I didn't break down and, and use the service Hello Fax until it got to a point where my client had to get a loan modification application to one of these big banks uh, that day. And the application was too big to email. Their servers were kicking it back. And so I had to do some quick research on, you know, these online services that allow you to upload a PDF uh, to their website and it gives you a fax number and uh, it, it allows you to send a fax from a dedicated fax number and it, it shows up on these banks fax machines. And so, you know, I was one of these guys on my contact page. I said something snarky like, you know, you can call Ben at this number and email him here. He doesn't have a fax machine because it's 2013, <laughs> you know? And, and so I finally did cave in and get a fax. And I'm glad I did because there are some of my clients who that's the only way they have to, to get me documents that I need to review. And, and so for people who, let me put it two ways. If, if you absolutely can avoid it, I would avoid getting a fax machine. Uh, but for people who have to use a fax machine, use one of these online services. And and I don't I don't know that there are a lot of distinguishing features between each of them. I think I pay ten dollars a month for HelloFax and I'm perfectly satisfied with it. You know, it it's not it's not a joy to use because I'm still grumbling because I'm sending a fax when I should be sending an email, but it does what it needs to do. But from your standpoint, you basically are sending and receiving emails, right? I mean, as far as your interaction with it, how does it work? Do you email a, do you email, how do you send a fax? So the way I would send a fax is by logging on to HelloFax. And then there's just a, a three-step process. It's you drag your PDF onto a certain field uh, in the website, and then you enter in the number, and then you click go. And it spins and spins, and it tells you that the fax was sent successfully. Receiving faxes is receiving an email with a PDF attachment to it. Yeah, so you have a phone number that if someone faxes to that number, hello fax, picks it up, converts it to a PDF and emails it to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and in fact, I have to say that getting a fax number was was good for another reason, which is the lawyer referral service that's run by our local bar association delivers lawyer referrals um, or referrals from clients, client information, either by mail or by fax. And so I was getting these letters from the Kentucky Lawyer Referral Service saying, hey, we referred this person to you three days ago or two days ago. Um, and now I get the fax at the end of the day. And so it allows me to call people back a little bit quicker or at least anticipate their call and know what they're going to be calling about. So uh, that's that's been a good addition. Yeah, as nerds, it's really easy for us to say, you know, faxes stink. We don't want faxes. We're going to turn them off and, and not use them anymore. But, you know, for a lot of people, that's how they communicate. And 
we can be outraged all we want, but if we want to communicate with them, we have to be willing to accept it. That's why I like some of these online services that they give you the benefit of having a scanned PDF arrive in your inbox, even if somebody wants to send a fax. I got, I got yeah. a fax today at work, and I, I forgot that we had a fax machine because in, in my practice, almost nobody uses them anymore. I'm like, oh, that's kind of quaint. Look, I got a little fax. Um, but it, it really is a great uh, bridge to the day when we won't have fax machines. But but, but, but uh, I think it, for it's all a good of solution us, for now. I mean, what, one thing we have to be wary of is not abandoning technology just because we hate it. If it's something we need to keep our business running, sometimes you have to you have to adopt some of this stuff and just find a way to work with it. Totally. Then, how do you handle email? Because email has been a big friction point in our office. Now we have a, we have a larger office. We've got about mm, 15 to 20 users that we have to support. And we ended up going with a Microsoft exchange 365 cloud solution, which has been okay for the most part. Um, we were kind of debating between that and, and Google apps or Google docs or whatever the business version is of it. And, um, you know, there were some, some pros and cons to, to either of what we did, but, um, you know, we wanted something where we could, you know, be on the go and sync our contacts, our calendars and, and our email back and forth. So what have you decided to, to solve your email problem? Uh, I have a hover.com account. Ben Carter Law is uh, hosted at, or the domain is registered at hover.com. And I bought a email address forwarding uh, from hover.com for $5. And it's been at bencarterlaw.com. And I have that forward to my personal email address. And my personal email address is a Gmail account. And I use the filters. Um, whenever I get a new case, if the opposing counsel starts emailing me, I'm going to apply a, a filter to say whenever this person sends me an email, apply a certain label to it. And I get all of my emails, um, whether they're personal or business, in the same Gmail web interface. This is this is one of those areas where uh, you know I I haven't had to solve the email problem uh, for collaborating and, and things like that. I did have an associate, a part time associate, for a very short period of time, and it was great for me. Uh, I just set up a separate email forwarding from hover and he got to use whatever he wanted to use. Now, what about uh, storing and uh, storing emails as they come in? I mean, uh, this might be kind of a lawyer thing. I'm trying to decide if it's worth going into, but a lot of times people want to keep records or attach emails to files. Is that what you're using the labels for? Exactly. And, and my, my experience is, I, I attach labels where I can, but Gmail's search is just so good that I'm 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 very rarely off of the first page of search results if I need to find a particular item. Now, how do you keep from crossing the streams since you in terms of of work and personal email when you have everything coming in to one account? How and and I don't know if it matters that much to you, but it would matter to me. I wouldn't want to email 
the wrong people or certain people from my personal account. Uh, you know, I'm so paranoid when I do it on my iPhone of, oh, did that email go out from my, you know, Mac Power users account or did it go out from, you know, my my you know, Uber professional legal account? And, um, you know, so I'm always nervous, you know, making sure that I click the right button. How, how do you um, make sure that you're not crossing the streams and that your personal email is getting responded to from your personal account and your work from from that work address, or at least it appears it comes from that work address? I have my default set up to send from the Ben at BenCarterLaw.com account. And I know that if you get deep into the metadata of of that, uh, maybe even not so deep, you can see that it was sent as an alias from, uh, you know, my personal email address using Ben at BenCarterLaw.com. But uh, anything that comes into my personal email address, if I reply to it, it, it c- goes back out as from that email address. And I guess that makes sense because people who know you personally also know that you're this lawyer, Ben, and probably don't care. Yeah. And, and I guess my email inbox is a little bit like a metaphor for, you know, my life as as a small business owner now, which is there really isn't a whole lot of separation between the personal and the business. Yeah, You know, another one of the nice features of iOS 7 is the mail app, although you probably don't use it if you're doing Gmail, but the mail app in iOS 7, the Apple Mail actually tries to predict when you write a new email uh, which account it should leave from. So if you're sending an email to someone that it thinks is probably related to your work email, it'll put that as the send from address, whereas if you're sending one to your mom, it will probably put in your personal address. And it it does a pretty good job of it. But I guess on iOS 7, uh, Ben, are you using the Apple Mail app or using the Gmail app? I actually use uh, the Sparrow app, and I use Sparrow for one reason and one reason only. It it has a send and archive function, and I just rely on send and archive so much to get things out of my inbox. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan, if you're a big Gmail user, of the Apple Mail app. I think that it's a great app for, like, an IMAP account, which is another option you have. Like, I, that's what I did with Max Sparky is I set up an IMAP account at hover so i'm paying hover to host an email account for me and then that's imap and that gives me all the tools i can use with any imap program you know i've definitely considered having having hover start to host my uh law stuff just because you know gmail has its own compromises but i'm still using it for the time being yeah i mean it's 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 not a simple question there's not a clear answer to it i guess would be the way to say that that's right. That's what they teach us in law school. That's the first answer that a lawyer has to give, right? It's, uh, this is a complicated question. Let well, me get back well, to there, you. Well, there's some really great things about Gmail, and there's some really great things about not using Gmail. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. Yeah. I'm going to talk about document management a little bit. It sounds like you don't use any dedicated document management system. It's It's pretty much files and folders. And so when you have all this stuff come into your Mac – in or or you have this information come in whether it's a meeting with a client or um, whether it's an email but you know that it's something you want to save um, or somebody brings you something and says hey this is relevant to my case and I, I I want you to have this and this is something that you're going to need how are you storing that how are you filing that um, how are you getting that um, into your Mac are you just immediately there? scanning everything or you know how do you how do you take notes from these meetings and and get them into your mac have you gone completely paperless what are you doing just to manage 
you know, all of, all of the data, because I know one of the things you said is when you leave your office at night, you don't have anything confidential there, but um, have you completely eliminated the, the file cabinet? Uh, I would say I have maybe two feet of uh, files at the bottom shelf of my bookshelf. And, huh. and that's mostly pleadings that have come to me through the United States Postal Service that I know I will want to take to uh, a hearing at some point. And so there's no point in um, printing it out again. I'm just going to keep that copy of it. But I've already scanned it into my system uh, and, and have it digitally as well. So essentially, under each client, I have five or six subfolders, and it's going to be attorney notes. It's going to be client documents. It's going to be correspondence pleadings, legal research, and that's about it. Uh, and I, I am not completely paperless in the sense that I, I definitely still rely on uh, notebooks to take notes while I'm talking on the phone with clients. I, I just, I find that that's an easier way for me to process what's going on. And, and as you all know, clients often don't tell you their stories in a way that um, makes in a chronological order, or, or in other words, you don't get all the details about a particular event uh, at that in order, right? And taking notes longhand has helped me because once a, once you ask another question, they start talking about something that uh, they talked about 15 minutes ago, you can go back up pretty easily and draw an arrow and make stars and things like that. So I take a lot of notes and scan those into the attorney notes section. And then any documents that they give me, I'm going to scan in. And and as far as legal research and pleadings, I'm either scanning those in or uh, saving them from attachments to emails. I like that. I want to do that. So you're just, you're taking notes in your notebook and ripping them out and sticking them through the scan snap. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I'm discovering about myself, I guess, in, in uh, running my own business and being a lawyer is, you know, I feel like doing the lawyer side of uh, my day is a real high octane kind of endeavor. It, it requires a hundred percent of my brain power. And when I'm writing a brief, uh, writing a demand letter, talking to a client, it, it really is pretty draining. And so I like the fact that part of what I need to do during the day is some of this mindless stuff like scanning documents, you know, uh, saving documents to file folders, uh, tracking time, uh, creating uh, client folders and things like that. It, it, it creates a nice balance to me because I, I can't do the high octane legal work eight hours a day. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes now, sense. now, are you doing the OCR when you scan it in on your documents? Uh, I believe so. Uh, optical character recognition. I mean, can you search yeah. the text Pro in your? Probably not with his handwriting, though. Well, not but, with my not but, with my handwriting, like, but like all the other stuff. So you're getting all these documents in. You know, David, I'm not sure yeah, because should, when should. I when I open them up in PDF Pen Pro, it still offers me the option to run the OCR okay, for so, the first time. Yeah. So yeah. then you're not. Um, so there's a setting. In, yeah. Turn that on. It, yeah. There's, there's a setting inside of the ScanSnap software that says, I don't remember. I think it says recognize text. I don't think it says OCR. 
I guess I could find out the next time I have a minute here while you, you and Katie are talking. But there's a setting in there that will scan the whole document and conduct OCR. And with these modern computers, it's so fast now. I mean, it used to be something where you'd sit there and watch it go for minutes and minutes to get the OCR on a document. But now it happens much quicker. And, you know, with the modern computers, we've got a lot of space. So to the extent the files are a little bigger... It is just so worth it, you know, if you're in sales or law or anything where you want to reference information quickly to just OCR everything as it comes in. And then, that's, you know, that's a, that's a huge benefit. The other benefit I find for that is then when you open up a file on the iPad, you know, now we do have PDF Pen Scan Plus to do the OCR on the iPad. But if it's already OCR'd, it just makes searching the document so much easier. And uh, I, I, that, I'm stuck that's on That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. One of the things that I do, I'm taking notes while we talk because I'd be taking notes while you all talked if I was listening uh, without also talking. But one of the things that I do when I take notes, my my little notation that this is going to be an action item, uh, which I just uh, did next to ScanSnap Preference uh, OCR, is I just make a star next to everything that's an action item from client meetings and and uh, things during my day, and so. Uh, that's that's sort of the next step in my workflow is, you know, while I'm scanning these things, I'm also adding tasks into uh, OmniFocus. Okay. And I want to go a little bit further on that. But just before I, I lose the thought, if you go into the settings for the ScanSnap uh, software, uh, there it's a, one of the tabs says file option. You know, it's kind of you wouldn't expect to look there for OCR, but it's it's called file option. And there's a checkbox that says convert to searchable PDF, which will convert the entire document to a searchable PDF. And you can have it either do all of the pages or just the first page. So if you think you're only going to want to be able to search the first page, that's great. Um, And then you can also add keywords to the PDF. And by doing that, you can highlight something and it will, it will actually add that as a keyword. And in my Thorough testing, I found that green highlights work better than yellow ones to the extent that anybody really cares. <laughs> so David has a little cu- a cup on his desk with them. only green I, highlighters. I, when I wrote Paperless Book, I actually got several different colored um, <laughs> highlighters and I tried them and I, I tested them because I didn't want to give my readers bad advice and I found green worked the best. So there you have it. But uh, yeah, so so if you're using a ScanSnap, go ahead and turn that on convert to searchable PDF, all pages is what I use. And, and anything that goes in just gets scanned then. And if I want to search something through, even just using spotlight, it will find it. And it is very, it makes me very happy. Such a dork. Sorry. I can't believe you said that about me, Katie. Because <laughs> I, I remember last episode, I have not forgotten that you remember the name of Reg's dog. Cat. It was his cat and it was Neelix. Jeez. Do not pay any attention. <laughs> All right. All right. So, okay, the, so go ahead. The last thing that I want to talk about before we move on to a different topic, but kind of in this document file folders and moving on. Um, so first I have a question, two questions. They're both questions. Number one, do you take any paper folders with you when you leave the office or when you're meeting with someone or you go to court or is it just all your iPad or your Mac? Uh, it I don't mean I ever, mean but I-, I mean most of the time your standard practice, I guess. 
Yeah, most of the time I'm leaving the office with my Mac and my iPad mini in my bag with no other papers. Oh my gosh, I so want to quit my job so I can set this up well, the way that I well, want. Well, except except my notebook. You know, I have my notebook for client meetings, right. of course. Yeah. And then just to... Well, for, uh, for lawyers, <laughs> let me interrupt there. For lawyers, I, I've sworn off this for years. We have lawyers write in and say, I want a lawyer workflow show. And I'm like, nobody is going to listen to it. I refuse. Here you and go. This is it. We're digressing a little this bit. Is, this, is a, this, is, we, this is a Trojan horse. We're, we're kind of very close to that third rail here. But uh, for we me, We might it's like, actually rename the show. Yeah. So the, uh, for me, it's when I go to court, the order, the thing I want the judge to sign. If the guy in the black robe's got to sign something, you got to bring a piece of paper. Uh, but otherwise, I don't bring many. But if you were like in a sales job, the contract would have to be written. Although I guess that's not even true anymore with some of these great software on the uh, the iPad. But can I, you imagine showing up to a court hearing with an iPad or an iPad Mini with the order opened up in PDF Pimp Pro and just say, "Here, judge, just sign here, and I'll shoot you an email." Yeah, that probably wouldn't work so well. But. No. The, uh, but for a lot of people that don't deal with things as formal as the court, like in a sales job or um, those types of jobs, I think it's getting a lot easier to get rid of that extra paper. So my last question in this topic area, and then we can move on, is how are you naming these things so that you can easily find them, categorize them? Are you following the Max Sparky convention of naming with those stupid dashes? Are you following the Katie Floyd's convention of naming with the appropriate dots? What are you doing? Oh my, this is a loaded question. I, I I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah. She she cuts me deep sometimes. <laughs> or are you doing something else? My um uh, one of the benefits of just being a one-man shop is that there's nobody throwing documents into my files that I don't that I haven't already seen before, right? And so um in some sense naming isn't that important because I know what I've named it, but my convention is this. I have a text expander snippet, semicolon, D-A-T-E, and it pops out for um, two-digit year, two-digit month, two-digit day. And that goes at the front of every single one of my things, uh, whether it's a pleading or an attorney note or a client document, so that all of those subfolders are organized by chronology. Now, you didn't say if you have dashes or dots between those two digits. I noticed it's just didn't. a six. It's a six-digit string. Okay. Okay, you can go ahead and take the uh, the diplomatic route. That's okay. Yeah, I'm I, I'm a middle way kind of guy. <laughs> All right. And then you write a name afterwards, and you call it a day. That's right. Okay. And so you need to, in order for that text expander snippet to work, it's got to be the same day as the actual document. Like if you get yeah, a letter, there is, there is a little bit of backspacing occasionally. Yeah. And as long as you do it with, within a few days, normally it's just the, the date digit that may be off. I'm exactly. I'm, and I'm I'll only do that if, if it's a... really, if you expect the timeline to be important, you know, if you're uh, doing some sort of demand letter or something like that. There's a hazel date match thing that could help you out here. Yeah. Okay. The, we'll the new version... Yeah, I actually did a screencast. Uh, Hazel, I think it's 3.1, if memory serves. Uh, they've got a new thing in there that will look through the document and pull the date out of it, and you could put it into your format. But that that would go back to what I was talking about earlier, hooking up your scan snap so the things are already OCR'd on import, so it would have something to work with. Yeah. But, you know, what, what uh, Ben is describing is really not that difficult, and it may be make more sense for him just to do it with the text expander snippet and yeah. call it a day. 
Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to describe sort of my approach is I'm an as- aspiring Mac Power user uh, rather than, you know, already there. I have to be very careful about getting uh, too deep in the stack with you guys because, you know, I have to limit myself to to these episodes because if I, if I listen to all of the episodes all at once, I, I'm not going to get any work done. Yeah, and that that's a good bit of advice on any kind of technology is just pick one thing and get that internalized and then pick another thing, but don't try and do two things at once. I but then on my vacations, I'm going to be fiddling with Hazel. All right. H- now you're talking my language. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about the different software you use and some of the tools that you use <laughs> so that we haven't been doing that already. Um, sure. but, but before we do, let's take a break and talk about our next sponsor. And that is my good friends over at BusyCal. A tool that I use every day. And Ben, you might want to check out BusyCal for all of your stuff. I do. But uh, BusyCal is the alternative to the built-in calendaring app for OS X that just makes everything work so much better. It is it is what iCal, or calendar is what it's called now, should have been, never could have been, and, and just so much more because if you are a calendar power user, BusyCal is what you want to do because it provides a ton of useful features like customized views of months or weeks or days or however you want to do it. You want to have a 10-day week? That's fine. You want to start your week today as opposed to on Sunday or Monday? You can do that. You want to integrate to-dos into your calendar? They can do that too. If you want to have the phases of the moon or the temperature or little pumpkins or other icons on your calendar... They can do that too. If you want to have, oh my gosh, here's how's this, customizable alarms for your calendar, because that was something that was taken away in a later version of, of iCal or calendar app, or I don't even remember what it was taken away, but customizable alarms that you can snooze for a specific time or snooze until a specific time before your appointment or that pops up or that notifies you via notification center, BusyCal can do that. And it syncs with iCloud, Exchange, Google Calendar, CalDAV, and Exchange is brand new in the BusyCal 2.5. And don't worry, because BusyCal is going to be fully Mavericks compatible. In fact, it already is fully Mavericks compatible with their latest update to version 2.5.3. Yeah, BusyCal. Yeah, I just, just realized that was supposed to be your ad spot. Uh, you know, but I was so I, excited about BusyCal. <laughs> I think either one of us could talk about BusyCal because it's something that that both of us use every day. And when they added the the Exchange support, it's huge for me because in in my day job I'm on Office three six five as well as Katie, and now that just integrates right in, and it just gives you so many things that you don't get with Calendar. And I know that Apple's made Calendar uh, a bit better with what they've done recently, but I like like the list viewing BusyCal. You just press the list button. You have all your appointments down. It's just a text list, which is really great. The searching is really great. And the integration with all the third-party calendaring services is, is really good. The people behind BusyCal um, have been making Calendar software for Macs longer than it, it may be possible longer than the people at Apple that are are old that are working on the calendar app. I mean, uh, yeah. they, they really know their business and they've got all the little touches as Katie was describing as she was going through it. This is something you should really check out if you feel that the built-in calendar app is wanting. And I mean, once I started using it, I, I just don't go back because it's getting the love and attention of real active development. You know, Apple can only develop uh, up, 
update their calendar app every time they knew an operating system. Whereas these guys at BusyCal are very agile. So it's, it's $49.99 in the, in the Mac App Store. It's a great application. Go check it out. You can also go to BusyCal.com and, and get more details about how it works. Um, and I've probably gone on long enough, but, but it's, it, when it's something you use every day, it's, it's really easy to talk a long time about it. Yeah. And uh, thanks to John and all the folks over at BusyCal for their kind support of Mac Power users and for making software that I use every day and couldn't live without. So kudos. Okay. All right. Let's- at the risk of uh, at the risk of starting another GIF versus GIF nerd war, what what day of the week do your all's calendars start? Oh, oh Monday, Today. of course. Oh, that. Okay. Oh. So, Katie, I understand what you're saying, but generally in the month view, what's the What's the first yes. day on the left side column? Oh, so, yeah. um, I don't know. I got to look because I don't know. I always have mine in week view and it starts today. Okay. So hmm. I don't know. I got to look. I don't know. Whatever, whatever the default is. Yeah, it defaults. Because I'm never with, in, in month view, I don't think. It, it defaults with the traditional where Sunday, it starts Sunday through Saturday, but there's an easy setting to make it. So you start with Monday and then the weekend is together as a block of days and you know, that's, that's how I work. I mean, Monday through I think we can all agree that that's the only way to do it, David. Okay. 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 All right. Well, hey, we agree then. Yes. Everybody go change it right now. I didn't but, even you know, know what mine was set at because I, I was in the week view. I think every calendar app I've ever purchased always, or calendar I've ever purchased always has it Sunday as the first day, which doesn't really make sense to me. No sense. Wow. Ben, you're really, you're kind of really invested in this. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the week should start on Monday. Okay. Yeah. So it shall be. I mean, if anybody's ever read Genesis, they know that the day of rest happens at the end of the week. Well, there you go. I like the idea of having the two weekend days together because... Oh my know, gosh, guys. How long... <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just saying I have two jobs. I mean, <laughs> really, yeah, it's. I've come to the conclusion because I'm so busy with the books and stuff. And when I get those two days together, those are the two days that I get work done on on the Max Barkey side. So I need to see them together. Yeah. Okay. Katie's getting angry. We have to, I'm not getting angry. Oh, I'm just saying we got a lot of stuff in this outline to cover. So, okay. I'm sorry. All right. So I want to talk about the dreaded office suite. Do you end up using iWork? Do you use um, OpenOffice? Do you use Microsoft Office? Because we know that the legal and a lot of the professional world is very Microsoft driven. And um, I have not been able to get away from Microsoft Office. And that's what I use at the office. So um, what have you done? Uh, I use the Office Suite. I I use Excel. I use Word. And I to a lesser degree, I still use PowerPoint, although I'm making the transition to Keynote. But, you know, once you have key assets in in PowerPoint and in Word, it, it makes it really difficult to, to move them away. And I know that you can set a default so that your Word documents open up in pages. But, you know, I can only fight so many fights. And yeah. uh, I've been using Word since, uh, you know, 1993. And so I'm going to keep using Word. Yeah. Is there anything that you do to make that a better experience for you or cuz I know yes. I've I've beefed it up some with my own custom templates and then I use text expander and other stuff but um what what makes that a, are you using Office 2011 or whatever the newer one is for for Mac? Yeah, I think I have the I think I have the 2008. I know people who have switched to the 2011 and uh frankly the the 
uh, ribbon and the new settings sort of scare me. So I've I've stuck with what I know in 2008. But what I do to make it better, really, my use of Word went to the next level after I read a book called Typography for Lawyers. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know whether you guys have read this or not, yeah, but Matt, it, Matthew is, Butterick. it, it, it yeah. is awesome. And um, I really appreciated just about everything that he said in there. And, um, you know, Matthew Butterick is a Harvard trained typeface designer and a graduate of the UCLA uh, law school. And he wrote a book called Typography for Lawyers about what lawyers are doing wrong with their briefs and their uh, letterhead and their business cards and small fixes to make it better. And, And so, you know, my letterhead, I think, looks amazing. I had professional designers do a mark for me, and and uh, I've laid it out in a way that uh, the line length is much shorter than it would be on a standard 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. Essentially, there's a two-inch margin on the left-hand side of my um, letterhead where my uh, mark goes, the return address, and, and then the rest of the letter is on essentially the last two thirds of the page. And, and so that helps a lot. And, um, and I use his typeface that he designed specifically for law use called equity. Yeah. He, he actually created his own fonts, you know, so uh, it's called typography for lawyers and it's really just a great book. Now, Matthew also came up with another website recently, and this is for everybody who's not a lawyer out there called Butterick's Practical Typography. And if you go to practicaltypography.com, this is something you're going to want. It's like he's got a thing there, typography in 10 minutes. It tells you some really great common sense advice. I wish everybody in the world would read it. And and really, this is ostensibly not just a law podcast. It's a podcast about uh, small business owners. And you are going to be creating brochures. You're going to be creating signs. You're going to be creating menus, all of those things. And it is worth investing a little bit of time in learning about typography. And I know you all have an episode exclusively about typography, but um, just small things can add a lot of polish and um, justify higher prices. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're presenting yourself, whether you're selling widgets or practicing law or setting up your electrician business, everything you put in writing is presenting yourself and why not use good typography? And and you're right. I think I don't want to go over all this because we had a whole show on it, but uh, uh, this new website, Practical Typography is new since we did that show. And I definitely would like everyone listening to go check that out. All right. Okay. <laughs> now that we've got <laughs> we, them, we, one we're right hole over each other, here. Katie. Yeah. It's just we're just gonna just talk over each other for the rest of the show. Let's just do that. Is that that's, okay? That's fine. We can do that. Okay. Um, so how you do you? Were, go ahead. <laughs> I give up. It's your turn. <laughs> how do you keep track of all the stuff that you have to do? Um, I mean, one of the things that's that's helpful about being um, 
in a, in a little bit larger practice is I do have an assistant and she tells me kind of where I'm supposed to be. She puts things on my calendar and, and I know that I'm supposed to be there and what I'm supposed to do. And she's also reminding me now I'm a heavy user of OmniFocus and I keep track of my own stuff too. Um, but when you're solo and it's just you and you've got to rely on yourself for everything, it, it becomes even more important. So how do you juggle your day and, and figure out what you're supposed to be doing and when you're supposed to be doing it and keep all the plates spinning? Sure. It, it becomes more important and in some ways a lot easier because I'm the only person that's that has permission to put things uh, in OmniFocus for me. Uh, so that's what I use. I use OmniFocus you and know, I have a number believe- of... That I asked David once to give me his OmniFocus email drop address so that I could send him things that perhaps I thought he might want to do. D- did he do that? Did he do that? I, he Are like started kidding? convulsing. I, you know, it's funny because when you were saying only I have permission to put things in OmniFocus, I yeah, have this I was memories of Katie saying, well, just give me your uh, email address, your magic OmniFocus email address, and I'll add it. And I couldn't believe I was I was stunned. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? I don't me? even know you at all, Katie. <laughs> yeah. I, I bet his wife doesn't even have his, his OmniFocus email address. I was just like, never if mind. I die, Forget that I nobody will be able to use that. <laughs> That's right. No, no. I, I'm sorry. I, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm upset again, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. I didn't realize. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. So, yeah, I, so, yeah, I, I have just that. have I have perspectives in OmniFocus, and and you know I have two main ones: personal and work. And uh, anything that has a hard deadline gets a due date. Uh, anything that doesn't need to be done uh, in the near horizon, um, like you know, search for new legal malpractice insurance carrier, that's not going to pop up on my uh, OmniFocus until two months out from the time that it's time to renew my legal malpractice. And so it, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, getting it too deep into the weeds on OmniFocus, but I've been a user since 2008 after I read Getting Things Done. And I've had a lot of time to figure out what works for me and what what doesn't work for me. I think the one thing that, that I do with OmniFocus that keeps me the most sane is I have a a very long uh, waiting on context. And, you know, as lawyers, you all know, whenever you send out a motion, that triggers a, a time frame that the other person needs to respond by. Whenever you send out requests for production of documents, that triggers a certain time frame. And so a lot of the things in my waiting on list have due dates. And so I've got my OmniFocus uh, perspective set up so that everything that has a due date that I'm waiting on is sorted by due date. And everything that I'm waiting on that doesn't have a hard hard out, so to speak, um, just sits at the bottom. And, but, you know, with these conversations with clients in any meeting, whether you're a lawyer or a, uh, another kind of small business owner, people are going to agree to do certain things for a project that you're working on. And, you know, I sort of think of it as, as a, like the first law of uh, action item dynamics. If, if I didn't commit to do it, but somebody else is going to do it, it goes on my waiting list, right? Anything that's any action that, that someone else is going to take is an item on my waiting list. And it's so important that you do that because if not, then nobody's accountable and the things just don't happen. I, I I probably receive three or four calls a day from somebody who wants me to represent them. And 
I would say seven out of eight times, um, the call ends with me saying, you need to gather up X, Y, and Z documents or ask so-and-so to give me a call and, uh, and they go away. And it's not time to write the person a turn down letter, but it's not something that I need to take any action on. It's just something that's out there. And, and knowing that that's out there and knowing that it's someone else's responsibility to take care of something keeps me sane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even write down things to do on a, I carry note cards in my pocket and I write them down during the meeting. And one reason I write them down is I want people to see me writing them down with their name next to it. And at the end of the meeting, I'll say, Hey, um, so you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to do A, B, and C. And they'll say, yeah. I said, well, do you want this card? You can keep this card if you want. It's got the list on it. <laughs> and um, I don't know if that's too presumptuous or not, but a lot of times people say, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks. And they'll take the card and then they'll probably ritually tear it up as they walk out the door. But um, it makes me feel like at least I've given them some kind of accountability as well. Do you think that somebody just keeps all those cards and gives it to their kid to build build David Sparks houses out of and things like that? Either that or they use it to like start a fire so they can mm-hmm. you know cook marshmallows. You know, probably it's it is like it that. is a pretty pro move that communicates that you know we're we're, we're serious here. Yeah. So, so OmniFocus is the tool that you use to track all that stuff. And it's just so great. I haven't heard you say review yet. Are you, uh, do you use the review process? Now you, you've said David Allen, you said OmniFocus. What about review? Right. Uh, I guess the way that I work, I don't do a formal review, David. No, I, uh, I print out my personal to-do list and I, this is so embarrassing to say on a famous podcast, but I print them out on three by five cards and I use a glue stick to, to paste them into my field notes, uh, notebook. And that makes uh, sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It feels a little odd to be 35 and have your workflow include a, an Elmer's glue stick, but, uh, that's what works for me right now. And I've got a whole shelf of field notes, notebooks, uh, that I wasn't using and it helps me to, to use them. So, um, I, I do that. And I also print out my OmniFocus, um, task list. I print it out on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. And it gives me the uh, satisfaction of being able to physically cross things off of my list as I move through the day and add things very quickly to uh, my OmniFocus list in the appropriate context. So as I, as I add things and cross things off, my, my physical list gets messier and messier. And I use, I use the time um, when I put all of the written down things on the messy list into OmniFocus and print out a new list as a kind of informal review. Yeah. I, I wish more people would use the review. It's one of the best features in OmniFocus because you can set it out like certain things can only get, you can say, I can only review this once a year if you want. And so, and not everything requires a weekly review, even though David Allen says, you know, that we're supposed to. So I, I'm very liberal about uh, making long periods of time between review on some projects uh, but I'm very also religious about reviewing what needs to be reviewed. And there's a certain amount of serenity that comes with that, that I feel like I lose if I don't do the reviews, even if I have some other kind of little solution. Um, when you've got a lot of plates in the air, it really makes a lot of sense to to use those reviews. So each one of the clients that I have, David, is a... Uh a, a project yeah. in OmniFocus, yeah. of course. And and you're saying what I can do is assign a, a review by or a, a recurring review. Every four weeks. 
for each one of my uh, clients. And that you're right, that would be amazing because then you would recognize, oh my God, I have five clients that I don't have any action items associated with. Yeah. Or, you know, hey, I forgot about this guy. He never did write me back, you know, or, or you know, just things come up. Yep. I'm making a star. All right. And put them on alternate alternating lists, alternating got, weeks. You don't want to review everybody yeah. every week. That's another God, it's like you guys are pros at this or something. So, so I got two stars. Does Katie have any stars yet? In your That's a notes? star. I get a star for that. Yeah, I think Katie suggested the Hazel uh, OCR. Stuff. Yeah, Hazel okay. to date match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to tackle a topic that we are asked to tackle all the time. And I think as a small business owner, you're an appropriate person to tackle this with. And that is money. So... How as an English major and a law graduate, I can tell you I'm not exactly the right person to tackle this project, but here we go. Well, but everybody complains, and I am chief among them, that the money management software for Macs is not great. Um, mm-hmm. They're limited options. You've got the big boys that you, you kind of feel like you need to use one of the bigger pieces of software because everybody uses them. And if you want to work with your accountant or your CPA, you've got to use this software, but it's not quite compatible with the PC version. Or you've got really good indie software, but oh no, you can't get your CPA to use the indie software. I, I mean, and the, there, there are all of these issues that, that go on with that. So how have you tackled this problem? Uh, I have tackled it in three different ways and I'll I'll sort of walk you through it. When I was just practicing law for my one client on the side 10 hours a week. I did QuickBooks for Mac and I kept my own books. And I can tell you as as a law graduate and an English major of a liberal arts institution, I was not prepared to um, do double entry bookkeeping. And what I did was hire- I don't a, even know what that cinch- means. I know we'll put a link to dub, the Wikipedia article for double entry bookkeeping in in the show notes, but it, it's it's essentially what it's the industry standard for how to keep books. Every every entry is both a credit to one account and a debit uh, from another account, and and that's what QuickBooks allows you to do. That's what all of the major um, software for bookkeeping allows you to do. That's sort of the magic sauce. All right. So if I spend 50 bucks at Office Depot, that would be a credit to what and a debit to what? I mean, that would be a, I've spent 50 bucks in my office supply category and a debit to my banking account or? Exactly. Katie, you're you're really making me want to like bang my head against something. (laughs) It's really not something that I'm qualified to talk about. I mean, somebody was, somebody mentioned. I was just trying to get the big concept. Okay. Yes. It's it's not, it's not that difficult. Got it. Yeah. But we want to, let's talk about software that you're using to try and pull this off. Sure. Yeah. So, so I used, I used QuickBooks for Mac and I had a friend who is, uh, one of the chief auditors for our local school system. And he had a friend who helps small business owners get their books started. That it, She essentially was a QuickBooks tutor. And I think I paid her $35 an hour to come in and explain to me how this software program worked and uh, where certain things would land in the program. And, and I got to say, if you're a small business owner intimidated by uh, bookkeeping, getting one-on-one help is really, in my experience, the best way to go. I mean, there are all sorts of online programs that you can do to um, to get up to speed, but having somebody there to 
where you can say, hey, I bought a printer at Office Max. How do I get that into QuickBooks? And having them show you what to click helps. Uh, so I did that for two years. And then earlier this spring, I had the opportunity to hire uh, another lawyer part-time who was uh, very good at the kinds of law that um, I do. And I I hired him. And once I hired an employee, it seemed like things got serious for me. And I was going to have to start, uh, you know, doing payroll taxes and, and quarterly reporting to various agencies. And so I hired a bookkeeper to make sure that I was doing all of that right. And, and frankly, I was doing my own books and I was 96% sure that it was right. And as a lawyer and a small business owner, that 4% really matters. And so I hired a bookkeeper to uh, keep my books. She used, I think, Peachtree's um, software. And my workflow with her was basically I gave her access to my uh, bank account and she was able to download all of the transactions. And each month I would send her uh, a list of the expenses that I paid for out of pocket along with all of the physical receipts. I also gave her access to my uh, Dropbox account where I had receipts saved that I had from computer purchases. Um, and by computer purchases, I mean receipts that show up in your email box. Yeah, like Amazon, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and that worked for six months, except that it became a little too expensive for me. And so I'm right now in the process of working with her to figure out how to get uh, her data into a new uh, bookkeeping program. And basically, I'm looking at online uh, solutions right now. The one that I think I'm going to go with is called Zero. It's X-E-R-O. Yeah. And um, I, I've looked at it. It looks like it does everything that I want to do. It has uh, good mobile apps and it has a sandwich video. And so um, I, I, I think I'm probably going to go with this. Sandwich yeah. as in lonely? Yes. All right. If Adam makes a video, then you know I'm in. Uh, there's some others. I, I know some people that have traveled this path and they ended up with Indinero, I-N-D-I-N-E-R-O. I don't know if you checked that one out. Um, uh, FreshBooks is another one. Um, it seems to me like the inevitable solution to this stuff is going to be these cloud-based services. Even even um, Intuit has like QuickBooks Online now, which is that's right trying to do that. Um, there never really was a great solution on the Mac. There are some, there are some applications on the Mac though, and I've got a list of them. I don't want to start rattling them off now because I haven't really gone deep enough and, and we will do a show on it eventually, but it is interesting hearing how you've, how you've gone this route. Um, I thought you had said at one point you were using parallels with QuickBooks. Uh, I use parallels for another, uh, piece of software, which is best case, which is the bankruptcy software that's yes. windows only. That's, that's the only thing that I use, uh, uh, parallels for, yeah. but the, I guess the other thing that I would say about bookkeeping and, and finances is, um, you know, I keep a, a budget, uh, for both my business and my personal life in a two worksheet Excel spreadsheet and, and, what I've done is is create a budget for my business so that I know exactly how much money I need to make each month uh, to make my business expenses um, and and 
to do that, you have your monthly recurring expenses, and then you have your yearly expenses like uh, your bar memberships, memberships to the National Association of Consumer Advocates, your uh, malpractice insurance, all of those things that are yearly expenses. You divide them by 12 and you add that to the bottom of your uh, monthly total. And then you take that over onto the second page and add that up with all of your personal expenses. And I know this is this is pretty basic stuff, but it it's been very helpful to me because at the end of that spreadsheet is a few calculations. It's here's how much money I need to make each month to make both my business and my personal life work. And then I divide that number by the number of working days in the in the month, which is I think 21.3. And that gives me a target each day for how much I need to bill and collect each day in order to make my business run. Well, billing is a whole nother piece of this because you've got the QuickBooks and whatever the solution is you ultimately decide on for keeping the books. But does that do your invoicing and your time tracking? It doesn't. I use, I use Rocket Matter for that. And there, you know, that is, it's a, a hot topic among lawyers as to what case management system uh, is best. And there are a few very good solutions and we are the beneficiaries of sort of an arms race in the, in the legal practice management software uh, field right now. But, you know, there, this is one of the reasons why it's good to start small because there are any number of solutions for people, whether you're designers, food truck runners, um, you know, Kickstarter uh, type, uh, operations, any number of solutions for keeping time and, and invoicing. And I use Rocket Matter because it's designed specifically for lawyers. If I didn't use Rocket Matter, I would probably be using Harvest, um, which is a great solution. But I use Rocket Matter because it does three things. It allows me to track time very easily. It has an iPhone app, which I don't use all that often to be honest, I'm more likely to write down time in my field notes guide uh, during the day and then enter it while I'm at my desk than I am to pull out my phone and enter it uh, in my Rocket Matter app. But I track time with Rocket Matter. And, and just to back up, Rocket Matter is a web application. Uh, it's not a dedicated Mac application. So one of the benefits of that is when I hired my part-time associate for a few months, I was able to get him an account and he used Rocket Matter to track his time on his PC. And so uh, a web-based solution, I like that for my business. I aspire to have employees, more employees in the future. And I'm trying to adopt tools that will allow people to use the use the platforms that they are most comfortable with. Yeah, that's the and, that's the big secret that you know it's no longer Mac versus PC because a lot of the stuff is becoming web based services, and it's not going to matter whether you're on Linux or Mac or Windows or iPhone or Android or whatever the next great big thing is. Uh, the The big platforms are going to be supported by these services, and you're going to be fine. Yeah, and, and so I, I track my time. With Rocket Matter, I do all of my invoicing with Rocket Matter. It allows you to run reports like, show me all of the clients that owe me more than $40. And it'll show you a list of 20 clients. And you can compare that with uh, 
who has money in their client trust account that you can bill against. And you can click four or five out of the 20 that have money that you can bill against, run those invoices and transfer a lump sum amount from your client trust account to uh, your business account online. Uh, and automatically Rocket Matter will debit each of your client uh, clients that you just invoiced. It will debit that client uh, that client's trust account. So I use it for the third thing for client trust accounting. I want to talk, um, we've got one more sponsor. I'm going to do that. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some kind of, they're not odds and ends, but stuff that we haven't covered yet. I want to talk about advertising. I want to talk about collaborating. Oh, I definitely want to talk about that. And anything else we haven't covered yet. But before we do, I want to talk to you what I think is something that you might use for your advertising. And that is the fine folks over at Squarespace. And so, as you know, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. You can get a free trial, and when you decide to buy, you can get 10% off by going to squarespace.com and using the coupon code MPU10. That's because this is the month of October, if you haven't figured out how these works. And Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, new support. In fact, just today I saw on Twitter that Squarespace released yet another new template, and these templates are beautiful designed for you to start with. So all you've got to do, if you've got content already, grab a template, start plugging in your content. If you've got an established website already, you can import your content from many other platforms directly into Squarespace. Pick a template. It will uh, format it automatically around the template. Boom, your website is done. And with these drag and drop um, boxes that you can use in Squarespace, you can say, okay, I want to I want a markdown box here. I want to put an image here. I want to put text here. I want to do custom code here so I can throw in something else that I want. Uh, I want a contact form. So I want to plug this in here. And you can start dragging these, these little boxes that Squarespace gives you uh, using their layout builder and create this website that has whatever you want in it. You want to integrate your tweets, you can do that. You want to um, get social and have links where people can like your stuff on Facebook or tweet it or Reddit or anything else. They'll integrate with all of that too. If you've got custom logos or photos or images that you want to put in, if you want a gallery or a portfolio, or even if you want to create a restaurant menu, Squarespace has custom templates for all of that. So check out Squarespace. Again, you can get more information over at squarespace.com. Use the coupon code MPU10 if you want to do more. And Ben, you're on Squarespace, right? Uh, I'm, I must be Kentucky's biggest Squarespace evangelical because I, I tell everybody about it. And, and there may be four people listening to this episode who, who think that they can start a business and not have at least a, a splash page or a one-page website. You cannot. Uh, you cannot start a business in 2013 and expect to be taken seriously if you don't have a website. And Squarespace, to me, is is the obvious answer for people who are intimidated by the uh, by the prospect of needing to start a website. I've, you know, I sort of judge my activity online as pre Squarespace and post Squarespace because once I found out about it from Dan Benjamin and the five by five network, I switched my personal blog over there. I started my business uh, website there. I've, I've told my church to get on there and they, they went on there. I built my farmer's market, a website. My sister has a dental practice and I just put a, they just have a one page, uh, you know, homepage for their dental practice. But, but 
You have to have kind of like their calling otherwise, card. Otherwise, when people search for you online, they're going to get some sort of manta.com or yellowpages.com or if you're lucky, a yelp.com listing for your for your business, right? And it just does not present uh, appropriately. It, it may have been okay, right, in like 2004 to not have a website because in 2004, you, you likely would need to know how to have uh, you would need to know at least the basics of HTML to have a decent looking website. In 2013, that is just not the case. If you can edit a Word document, you can create a web space or a, a website on Squarespace. And, and, you know, I've ranted about this on, on our podcast. Um, you know, if you are a lawyer and do not have a website, you know, every time I get a call from an opposing counsel or find out who an opposing counsel is going to be in, in a case, I'm going to look you up. And, and if you don't have a website, I'm going to judge you. And, and I don't know, I'd like to get your all's opinion on that, but I judge you because to me that demonstrates in 2013, it's so easy to have a website, not having one demonstrates a kind of lack of care. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that even, when you're in the services business and someone hears about you, I mean, and the lawyers in general work, at least in my, my field, it's a lot of referral work and people hear about you and they're like, okay, so he might be somebody I'm interested in. Well, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to go look at your website and take a look. And, you know, if it's got a, you know, a, mu a, a music playing in the background, you know, <laughs> a MIDI file right. playing and the, you know, 1980s, you know, animation, that's, it's not going to help you. And, uh, I think at some point we've, we, have we moved past the Squarespace ad? Yeah, I think we've moved past the ad. <laughs> okay. Well, did we tell them about how they can get 10% off? We did. MPU 10. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, Squarespace really does make it easy. And my, my firm's website is on Squarespace. And, and like Ben, pretty much anyone who comes in contact with me who needs a website, because I don't want to figure it out for them, but I'm the like I'm the family nerd, so they expect me to, and I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to give me your credit card. We're going to set you up in Squarespace, and usually within a week or so, I go back to their site, and you can see they did a whole bunch of work on it. And these are people who are not nerds. Um, it's just not that hard. And, and the other thing that that is great about Squarespace, and, and maybe this is a continuation of the advertisement, or it's just a, a talk about small business, but you know, as lawyers, how much you update your website is one of the key algorithms that uh, Google uses to determine whether or not uh, your website is going to be relevant for a particular search result. And Squarespace makes it so easy to add content to a blog, so easy to make quick comments about news of the day. Uh, you know, the Ninth Circuit comes out with a decision saying that um, mass actions are not covered by the Class Action Fairness Act. You can create a link and and make a quick comment and share that on Facebook and Twitter so quickly. And and for me, as a small business owner, my Here's where I get my business. I get some from the Kentucky Lawyer Referral Service. I get a lot from other attorneys who have heard me speak about consumer law issues. Um, but I also get a lot of referrals from friends who see me writing about law-related things and posting about it on Facebook and Twitter. They just remember that 
I'm a lawyer. And so they contact me when they feel like they've been discriminated at work or their brother is facing foreclosure or they're having trouble getting um, the at-fault driver's insurance company to pay for their uh, for their claim. They remember because I'm updating my website, because I'm commenting on uh, news of the day about lawyer things, that I'm a lawyer and they reach out to me. And and that's how you build a business. As far as I can tell, I'm only 11 months into it, but um, it seems to me like putting your stuff on a platform that makes it as easy as possible to update uh, is just a great idea. Yeah. I, and I don't know about you all, but you must have heard these stories from lawyers who pay thousands of dollars a month to host, to have somebody else host their site and do their ghostwriting and do their SEO. And, and you can tell, you can tell that their, their site is search engine optimized and it's impersonal and they're paying thousand dollars a month for something that they could do with a few minutes a day. Yeah, it's almost like that, that, that money they paid the $10,000 they paid to design the site 10 years ago is like this anchor around their neck. And they feel like the longer they leave it up, the more they get for their money. You know, we paid a lot of money for this. So we're going to keep it up when you realize, you know what, it might've been worth 10,000 or not 10 years ago, but Right now, uh, you know, $16 a month will make you look a lot better. And in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So anyway, that's um, that's the primary form. That's my primary advertising cost. I don't do a ton of, and by not a ton, I mean zero. I don't advertise in the phone book or on, on billboards or, or anything like that. My advertising costs are my Squarespace uh, account, my Hover account, and that's about it. Well, what about analog advertising? I mean, we don't necessarily think about it as advertising, but but things that talk about your brand and that talk about your presence. I mean, your your business cards, your letterhead, things like that. That's all a form of advertising. That's true. And, you know, one of the great things about starting a business is that you get to decide um, what you want to splurge on and what's uh, what's something that you want to save on. And when I started a business, I spent... Uh, money on a geek desk, a stand-up desk. I spent money on the entire library of uh, National Consumer Law Center books. And I, I spent money on graphic designers uh, to design my letterhead, my uh, envelopes, and my business cards. I I used to own a house two doors down from two graphic designers here in Louisville who I think are single-handedly sort of changing the look of Louisville because restaurants are hiring them to paint murals on the side of their restaurants and um, and you just see their work everywhere in Louisville. And because I was neighbors with them, I had the very fortunate opportunity to work with them uh, I don't know whether it's okay with you guys, but uh, we can put a link to their stuff in the show notes. It's We Are State Champs. Sure. They're called Two State Champs. And uh, Ty and Amanda just do great work. And and I went with them with a few um, requests. I, I showed them the kinds of stuff that I liked that they had done. And I said, I want my logo to be in black and white because I want to be able to uh, print on a black and white printer and never have to 
pay money to have letterhead printed separately. I don't want to have to load color letterhead separately and accidentally print a 20-page brief on letterhead. Uh, and that, and so that's what they did. And they came up with a design that I think looks super. It's classy. A lot of people have told me that they think it looks like an old-timey uh, private investigator's logo. And I love that because I've, I view my job as a plaintiff's attorney as a kind of private investigator. And so uh, it's, it's a small thrill to me. There, I, I, I'm rambling here a bit, but it, it's thrilling to me to be able to put my own logo on my letterhead and, and have it go out and have it be mine, you know, and, and to work in a way that is, is the way that I want to work. I print out my Dymo label labels and it's got my logo on it and it's just the way I want it. Well, that's the nice thing about owning your own business. You get to make all those decisions. Yep. So uh, what are the little apps on your, your Mac that you're using that we haven't talked about? The stuff that really kind of holds it all together for you. Uh, I use Alfred. I use um, Omni Outliner for uh, arguing briefs and motions. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely use Text Expander. I, because of you guys, I'm using Spirited Away, which comes in very handy when I'm working on uh, my 11-inch screen. Yeah. Uh, for people who haven't heard that episode, Spirited Away is a little app that just lives up in your uh, menu bar that um, allows you to set a timer to take away certain windows in applications after a certain amount of time. Um, Did you ever go and, down the mind mapping road? Have you gone down that road yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I definitely cook ideas. I use yeah. MindNode. Uh, in fact, the entire outline for uh, Let's Start a Law Firm I created on MindNote. I've been playing and, with MindNote lately. I really like that iCloud sync between everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I sat down on a flight to New York in earlier this year and just started cranking out different aspects of practicing law and all of the things that um, I thought that people might want to think about before they start a law firm. And it turned out to be, you know, six or seven episodes of stuff. And, and we always started our podcast knowing that we don't, we don't want to get up to episode 161 because I want it to be sort of a, a capsule of uh, a, a kind of curriculum, I guess. Yeah, like a limited it, run. Right, exactly. Although I think it'd be fascinating if you guys did it again in a year or two. That's we're having so much fun doing it that we're what we're thinking about doing is doing sort of a, a first season, taking a few months off and maybe doing a few more interviews once I can afford a third microphone uh, with other uh, people who have started their own law firm here in Kentucky. Skype, and maybe man, around Skype, the make them get their own microphone. That's true. We'll talk. I, we'll, I we'll, we'll, teach, we'll, we'll talk to you about how this works. It's magical. Yes. I feel part of the magic already. Um, so, so yeah, we're having a lot of fun doing it, but, um, but it's definitely going to be a limited run and then we'll probably revisit it. Like you said, David, after we actually know what we're doing and it's not so much self-soothing. I, I don't know. I've been practicing law 20 years and I, I'm still learning stuff all the time. So that's, that's what makes it fun to me. Yep. Well, Ben, this has been a great show. We've been going on for over an hour and a half now, and I don't know if it's the small business show, the legal show. I think it's got a lot of 
uh, information that people can use, whether they're in law, whether they're a dentist, whether they're an accountant, whether they're a what was the other one you used? Uh, we don't we don't have food trucks here, but whether they're a food truck driver, uh, graphic designer, graphic designer, any of those other things. So um, I hope that they will check out your podcast. Let's start a law firm because it's it is about starting a law firm, but I think it's about so much more. Um, tell people where they can find you. Sure. Um, people can follow me on Twitter if they want to. My handle is uh, not Ben Carter, and my email is Ben at BenCarterLaw.com. All right. And you can find links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Uh, you can find those at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 161 for this episode. You can also reach us, uh, feedback at Mac Power Users, or on Twitter, we're at Mac Power Users, and Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode, and we'll see you then.